I've been talking about how important the Word of God is to our growth, how that it just, if you it, look at it like a seed, you plant it in your life and it just produces. It really is that simple. And uh, that's how I've based my life. That's what the Bible College is based on. And that's all of the results that we're seeing. That's what it's all about. I don't know how many of you have noticed this, but uh, on our program, if you contrast it with a lot of other programs, they have a lot of introduction. They have a lot of other things and stuff. But, you know, within it's usually within 20 seconds of the start of our program, man, I'm on there talking about the Word of God. I mean, we just cram the thing full of the Word of God. And that's, I believe, what's producing the results. I have people tell me all of the time that they have gone to church for 20 years or something they've never heard these things. And, you know, it's just because the the church as a whole, this isn't true of all churches, but I'm saying a lot of churches, the church as a whole, has gotten to where they just preach anything and everything except the Word of God. You can basically trace any failure problem in your life back to a deficiency of the Word of God, and that's what we've been teaching on. I want to turn over to First First Kings chapter 17, and I want to illustrate this through the life of Elijah and show you how that once you get a word from God, the power that's in the Word of God, and this also will share with you about how that God gives you progressive revelations of His Word. Here in 1 Kings chapter 17, in verse 1, and it says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Now, you've got to understand a little bit of the background. Ahab was a king of Israel. This is after the nation of Israel had been split into two kingdoms. The northern ten tribes were called Israel. The two southern tribes were called Judah. And um, Ahab was a king over the northern tribes. He was the most ungodly king that they had had up until this time. And his wife was named Jezebel. All of you are familiar with the name Jezebel. It's still uh, famous today for any person who's just rebellious, domineering, controlling. And Jezebel was a very ungodly woman. And she actually instituted Baal worship in the nation that used to be called by the name of God. And uh, she had 450 prophets of the grove and 400 prophets of, the, of Baal that she fed every day that were sustained by the government. And she had outlawed the worship of God. And if anybody who was a true minister of God showed up, they tried to kill them. So this was a very hostile environment to anybody who was a true servant of God in a nation that used to belong to God. And Elijah just walks right up to the king boldly and says, Thus saith the Lord. By just exposing himself as a prophet, as a messenger of the Lord, could have cost him his life. And yet, he had a word from God. Boy, there is so much in this. I've got an entire six-tape series on this. Amen. I got a six tape series or five tape series on everything. But there's a lot more than what I'm able to share. But the, if you just stop and think about it, once you get a word from God, and if that thing ever germinates on the inside of you, it puts you in a driver's seat. 
God's Word is what created this world. He spoke the world into existence. The Word of God is what created everything physical, natural, even you and me. And everything that was created responds to the parent force, which is the Word of God. The Word of God can speak to anything. It can change anything. I know some of you think I'm a little weird, but I think you're weird if you don't believe this. You know, when Jamie and I were real poor and we'd, I'd go over to my mother's house and I'd mow the lawn for her or do something like this and she would feed us and sometimes that's the only time we'd eat for two or three days or a week. And I was just so appreciative that my mother was keeping us alive. She didn't know it. She didn't know what she was doing, but I wanted to bless her and I didn't have any money. And I remember as I'd mow her yard that I'd go around those trees and I'd lay hands on every tree and I'd bless them and I'd talk to them and... When my dad died, my dad used to take care of all... We had 23 pecan trees in our yard, and we used to get anywhere like three, 400 pounds of pecans. And I'd have to shell them, and we'd sell them and do all of this stuff. But um, anyway, he took care of them and fertilized them and had the bagworms cut out and sprayed them and did all of this stuff. When he died, my mother quit taking care of them. And those trees over a decade had gotten to where the year before we had like 50 pounds of pecans. It was just, they were just dying. They were wasting away. And so anyway, my mother was feeding us and taking care of us. I started mowing her lawn and I went around and laid hands on those trees and spoke the word of God to them. It says, you know, Jesus cursed the fig tree and said, No man uh, eat fruit of you hereafter forever. And it died. And it says we have power to bless and to curse. And it says that whatever we say will come to pass. And anyway, I spoke these words over those trees and went around. And did you know that that year, without doing anything to the trees, we didn't fertilize them, didn't do anything, they had over 600 pounds of pecans by me going around and speaking to them. And I know some of you think that's weird, but I think you're weird if you don't believe that. God created those trees by His Word. And if you take these words that created that force and speak the Word to it, trees will respond to you. They responded to Jesus. I know that this sounds weird to some people and it's not normal, but I tell you, it works. This is how the kingdom works. The Word of God will work on anything. You speak God's word and things will respond to it. And when you get a word, it gives you power. It actually puts you in the driver's seat. If you understood this, I guarantee you when you go to work and people start talking about the economy or talking about politics or talking about whatever it is in their negative, most Christians feel out of place. We feel like, you know, we wouldn't be appreciated if we say anything. And most Christians are intimidated and cowed into a position of silence. It ought to be just the opposite. We're the only ones that have the truth. We're the only ones that understand these things. We're the only ones that have the right perspective. If anybody feels strange, it ought to be the people that don't believe these things. I'm not weird. They're weird. That's the way I look at stuff. Amen. Really, when I start talking about healing, you know, some people you talk about healing and you get a little apologetic like uh, I know most people don't believe this. Man, it ought to be just the opposite. You ought to talk about it like this is just an everyday occurrence. And if somebody says, do you really believe that God raised your son from the dead? Well, certainly don't you. Don't you believe that God can raise people from the dead? What's wrong with you? See, that's the attitude that 
Elijah had. Elijah had a word from God and instead of feeling timid and shy and like this is an ungodly culture and they could kill me, man, he had a word from God. If you understand how important and how powerful the word of God is, it makes you look at things differently. It gives you a different attitude. It puts you in the driver's seat. You're the one that has power and authority, not these unbelievers that are saying all of these crazy things and promoting ungodly lifestyles. That's ungodly. We're the ones with the power of God. We just don't realize what we've got. Elijah had a word from God, and he knew that that word from God put him in a position that was superior to the king. That's not a criticism of other people that they aren't important, but I'm just saying that the word, a person with the revelation of the Word of God is never at the mercy of anybody else. The Word of God is what created everything. And once you get a revelation of the Word of God, you're the one that has the key. You're the one that's got the power. And Elijah realized that and he just walked right up to the king and said, Thus saith the Lord. I can see him... I don't know if he did this, but I can see him putting his finger in the king's chest. <laughs> Thus saith the Lord, it will not rain until I say so. He had a word from God. Now, you can't do that on your own. You just can't go out in your own natural ability and prophesy and say things. But he had been seeking the Lord, and this is what God told him. And once he got a word from God, it enabled him to go to the strongest, most powerful man in the nation that had been killing prophets and tell him, thus saith the Lord, the God that you don't believe in, the God that you rejected, thus saith the Lord. And there's a lot of people think, well, you know, I can't tell people that because they don't believe in the Lord. Ahab didn't believe in the Lord. It didn't stop Elijah from speaking it. He went up and spoke the word of God and prophesied to him. And it granted him a position of leadership because he had a revelation of the word of God. Brothers and sisters, the truth is, some of you think, well, I just don't have a word from God. Yes, you do. If you're born again, you've got a word from God. You have heard from God and you understood salvation and you have received salvation. And you know, that puts you in an elite class. There's like two-thirds of the American population that claims to be born again, but that's certainly not true. Uh, if you look at politics, the people that vote moral and vote for people of character and stuff would be probably 20 or 30 percent, I think would be generous to say that there's that many truly born-again Christians in the United States. The others are, are nominal Christians, name only. Uh, there's a lot of people that claim it, but I, there's an elite group. There's a minority of people who truly have experienced salvation. And if you've experienced salvation, you've got a word from God, a revelation from God about God, about relationship with God that the majority of people you meet don't have, and that makes you the expert. And some of you think, oh, I'd never look at myself that way. It doesn't mean that you have to be puffed up and think you're better than everybody else, but your opinion of God is better than their opinion of God. They're going to hell and you're going to heaven. You need to recognize you got a revelation, you got a word from God that is valuable and important. And if you don't speak it out, it's not ever going to produce any fruit. You've got to speak it. 
You know, a friend of mine, Clifton Coulter, he helped us start this school. He was one of our instructors here. And this guy could witness to a fence post. He is an evangelist deluxe. I've heard him preach before. It makes me want to get born again all over again. I mean, he's powerful. And he witnesses to people one-on-one. And he was talking to one guy, and he was in this man's home. And this man was just crying. He was so convicted. And Clifton says, do you want to pray right now and receive the Lord? And the guy said, you know, I, I want to, but I think I need to pray about this. I need to make sure that I'm ready to commit, and I just want to think about it for a while. Clifton said, okay, no problem. And so he was getting ready to leave, and he was standing at the front door saying goodbye to this guy. And the Lord spoke to Clifton, and he said, who's the professional here? And Clifton, you know, at first didn't understand. And he was thinking, Lord, what does that mean? And he says, who gets paid for, you know, spiritual things, leading people to the Lord? And Clifton said, well, I guess that would be me. And he says, well, then what are you doing letting this lost man's opinion trump your opinion? You're the one that's got the right opinion of God. His opinion is sending him to hell. says, don't listen to him. And so Clifton just stood right there and he says, God just spoke to me and he says, your opinion is wrong about God. He says, I don't want to give you time to think about it. Now is the day of salvation. And he says, you need to get born again right now. I'm the professional. I make my living doing this and you need to be born again right now. That guy said, you know, I think you're right. And he got born again. You know, that's the attitude you need to have. And yet we're so apologetic and we think, well, not everybody agrees with this. Well, they're wrong. Amen. What can I say? You got a right to be wrong, but I'm not going to agree with you or we'd both be wrong. You've got a revelation of what it means to be saved. You know what? You ought to go around thinking, I've got a word from God. And remember that Elijah, because he had a word, it allowed him to go boldly unto the king. If you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking tongues, did you know that makes you even more elite? There's not that many Christians that have that. You've got a revelation about the power of God that most people don't have. And you ought to go around feeling like, man, God, you have put some awesome things on the inside of me and just be looking for opportunities to share these words with people. But you know, most of us don't really understand what we have. If Elijah would have gotten this word from God and have thought, well, this is nice, and then have done nothing with it, it it wouldn't be written in Scripture. We wouldn't be talking about Elijah. You know, I have no way of knowing this, but I bet you that there have been millions and millions of people over history that God has spoken to them, given them things. And they didn't value it. They didn't understand what it means to have a word from God. And so they just thought about it and thought, I wonder if that's God, and let it go, and never went and acted on it. If Elijah hadn't have taken it, it's one thing to get a word from God, but then to mix it with faith and believe that this is power, and because of that word, now I can go do something. If he hadn't have acted on this, we wouldn't have heard of him. We wouldn't have this portion of Scripture. It would have totally changed history. How many people have had God speak to them and they've been timid or shy about it and afraid to go out and say what God's told them to do? You know, God's been speaking to some of you here and yet you've got to act on it before it begins to start releasing its power. And also, you know, here's here's the way that a lot of Christians respond to things. God will show them something and what they'll do is start praying about it. 
And, you know, again, some people think I'm against prayer. I'm not against prayer. I'm just against it the way it's done today. It's a cop-out. There are people that will say, oh, I'm going to pray for my neighbor. And they get into their closet and they'll pray and intercede for them and even fast. But they would never go share the word about salvation with them. I think that's chicken. It doesn't work. You need to go act on the Word of God. And again, prayer is like water, fertilizer. It'll help the seed once it's planted, but prayer will not make a person get born again. You can't get a person born again through prayer. It says you are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the Word of God that lives and abides forever. Just like a child has to have a seed planted in the woman's womb to conceive and to have a child, you cannot get a person born again by prayer. It is the Word of God that is the incorruptible seed that produces birth. You have to hear the Word of God. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You can't pray a person into the kingdom. You've got to get the Word in them. Now, you can pray that the Lord will send laborers across the path. You can pray that God will bring back to their remembrance the word that's already been spoken. There's a lot of things you can pray about, but you can't pray over barren ground. You've got to have a seed planted. The word of God has to be planted. And what I'm saying is a lot of Christians, if, they, if the Lord was to impress on them that your neighbor needs to be born again, a lot of Christians just default to praying for them and asking God to do something, not realizing that the thing that's going to produce the salvation is the revelation, the truth, the word about salvation and how you can believe on Jesus, how that your sins are forgiven. Somebody has to share the word. If Elijah just would have heard from God and then started praying and saying, Oh God, don't let there be any rain for three years. And if somehow that had happened and there hadn't been any rain for three years, and then Elijah shows up and said, that's me. God showed me this. I prayed for this. This happened because I had a word from God. Everybody would blow him off and say, oh, sure, anybody could say that. Ahab would have looked at it and thought, you know, this could be coincidence, and here's this quote-unquote prophet just standing up and claiming But because Elijah went up and prophesied it when there was still rain and there wasn't a drought, then when the drought happened in the 18th chapter, you can read that there was no nation under the face of the earth that that Ahab had not sought for Elijah. Elijah became the focus of his attention because it was so bad that they were actually having to sell off all of their animals or kill their animals and eat them and... uh, it was a severe drought. It was bringing the entire nation to a halt. And, and uh, Ahab knew exactly why it happened because a man had enough guts to go take a word from God and speak it before there was any physical evidence of it. And the only reason he could do this because this man understood the power that's in the word of God. Man, that's awesome. We want to see our co-workers saved, our neighbors saved, but we want to get in a prayer closet and pray and have them get saved. And then we jump up and say, I did that. I prayed for this. I was part of this deal. Fooey. Amen. It's not true. 
You need, if you want to do something, go speak the word to them. Take the truths that God has shown you and speak the truth to people and then get in your prayer closet and pray that God brings it back to their remembrance and pray over it and stuff like that. But you've got to be bold enough to take the word and recognize nothing is going to happen without the word. A seed has to be sown. And people think, well, I'd be glad to do it, but what happens if they don't receive it? What happens if they reject it? What happens if they call me a fanatic? What happens if all of these things, and we worry about what's going to happen? You know, when Elijah spoke this word to Ahab, like I said, Ahab and Jezebel had been killing all of the prophets of the Lord. There was a very good potential that he could be killed for this, or at the very least imprisoned, persecuted in some physical way. And guess what? God didn't tell him what the results of this would be. He might have been able to guess since it said that it wouldn't rain until he said so. That means he had to live or it never would have rained again. He might have been able to extrapolate that from this, but I mean there was no real guarantees. He didn't know exactly what was going to happen. And after he said this, in verse 2 it says, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. It wasn't until after he acted on the first word that God gave him that a word came about how God would protect him and sustain him. And see, this is why so many people miss it. They feel like God is speaking to them. Like, let's just take for example, since we're talking about campus days, there's some of you here praying and you feel like God is speaking to you about coming to the Bible school. And so you've got a word from God. God has spoken something to you. But then the next thought is... Well, if I do that, what about my house? What about my kids? What about my parakeet? What about my dog? We've actually had people before that said, we want to come to school, but I got two dogs. What do I do? And the director of the school at that time says, well, the last time I checked, we allowed dogs in Colorado. You could bring them with you. But you know what their thinking was? I can't come. I've got two dogs. When they told me that, I said, just kill them. (laughs) I'm not a dog hater, but I am saying that, you know what, anything that stands in between me and what God told me to do is not going to last. It doesn't matter what it is. If you got a word from God, act on it. And after you do what God told you to do, then He'll tell you how to deal with this and with this and with this. But let's say that there's ten things that have to happen for all of the things God's showing you to come to pass. Why would God give you number one through ten and make you potentially more accountable when you hadn't even done number one yet? That's not how God does it. He doesn't show you ten steps in a row. What He'll do is show you the first step. Here's the thing I want you to do. And as you take the first step and obey, then God will show you step number two. When you take that, He'll show you step number three. That's the way that the kingdom works. This is what Elijah did. He had no guarantee of what was going to happen when he spoke to the king. But he went and spoke to the king. And after he acted on the first thing that God told him, then God told him the second thing, how he was going to provide for him and how he was going to protect him. 
Boy, that is a powerful truth right there. That is a tremendous revelation. You know, I couldn't tell you how many times Jamie and I have had God impress something on us and we could see that He wanted us to do something, but we didn't have a clue how all of the things that were necessary were going to work out. And we just took the first step. We just burned our bridges behind us. And there's a lot of people that think, but I couldn't do that because what if it doesn't work? What if it does work? There's people that are paralyzed by fear thinking about what if, what if. But I tell you, if you want to walk on the water, you're going to have to first get out of the boat. Everybody wants the miracle of walking on the water, but nobody wants to leave the safety of the boat. And the funny thing about that is the boat was full of water and it was sinking. They were all going to drown. There was very little difference between being out on the water and being in the boat. And you know, likewise, the whole world is miserable. People are depressed and discouraged. They're frustrated. They know that there's more. And yet, there's people that God speaks to you and you're afraid to act on it. That just doesn't make sense. You're going to drown if you don't act on it. Nothing's working. Man, it'd be better to go for it. Shoot for the stars and if you miss, hit the moon. But you know what? There's many of you that shoot at nothing and hit it every time. <laughs> we got to start going for it and just not worry about what's going to happen. And I promise you, I've seen the Lord be faithful to Jamie and me. And every time we've stepped out and obeyed God, God has come through. It's miraculous. The Word is full of examples of this. But there's a, there's a lesson to learn. He, he understood how powerful that Word was. And instead of just praying over it, he went and spoke it, put himself on the spot, and did what God told him to do. And after he did that, then God came through with step number two. And here is another great revelation I got out of this, that the Lord told him to go to this brook, Cherith, and he says that I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Here is something that really touched my life and helped me. And that is that God did not send... Elijah's provision to where he was, he sent it to where he told him to go. There are people, again, that when it comes to Bible school, there are people that say, well, I know God has spoken to me, but I just, how am I going to make it? I don't have a job out here in Colorado. I haven't sold my house. What's the market like? What's this like? And what's that? And they're, they're saying, God, you make provision. You provide everything. You give me everything that I need here, and then I'll go there. But God sent His provision there. I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. God doesn't send His provision to where you are. He sends His provision to where He told you to go. And how would Elijah know where he was supposed to go? The brook Cherith. I don't know how long it was, but let's say it was five miles long or ten miles long. How did he know the exact spot that he was supposed to go? The way he could find out is because he says, I have, past tense, commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Ravens could fly faster than Elijah could run or walk. And so that means if he had already spoken to the ravens, you know how Elijah knew that he was at the right place? Because when he went to the brook Cherith, the ravens were already there. 
What if he would have stopped one mile in and the ravens were five miles up? You know, the way he knew he was at the right place, he followed the leading of God and God had already sent his supply there. It's like for those of you that are football people or something like that, you know, if a person's going out for a pass, you don't throw the ball to where they are. You lead them and throw the ball to where they're going. And that's the way that God is. God doesn't send His provision to where you are. He sends it to where He told you to go. It's there. And the reason that more people aren't experiencing the provision of God is because they aren't all there. Amen. You're too much here. Some of you are going to go back and, oh God, you just provide all of these things and you do these things and then I'll go there. I tell you, God's provision, if, if He's calling you here, is here. It would be for you there. It's where God told you to go. And that's where you will see the supernatural provision. Man, I could give you story after story after story just of people that have come to the school here and have seen this happen. I mean hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that came here on nothing. I remember one couple that, that left uh, North Carolina with a tank of gas is all they had and everything they had was in their van and they stopped by to say goodbye to their pastor and their pastor gave them like $150 and that was enough money to have motels and gas to get here and when they got here they lived in their van for a month or two. I didn't know it. But you know what? They just came here because this is what God told them to do and they began to prosper, 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 had them a house God supplied all kinds of things and it worked out. Their supply was here, not back there. I remember one lady, Sandy, uh, forget her last name, but she came here with three kids. She had just gone through a divorce and her psychiatrist in uh, Virginia, she, when people walk into her office, she says, here's all of these tapes and books. I'll give them to you for free and you can go to Andrew's website and you can get all of these truths that will set you free for free or you can pay me $150 an hour and I'll tell you the same stuff. And anyway, it was Sandy Harmon. She went through and, and got all of this counsel from the psychiatrist and eventually wound up coming to school here. She had just gone through a divorce, had three little kids. We had to make an exception for her because she had to drop the kids off at 8 o'clock so she couldn't get to class till like 8.15. But she came and she was poor and struggling. And did you know she started experiencing blessing and prosperity and now Sandy supports this school. She came to a function not long ago, and I forget exactly what she does, but she's been promoted into management. She is making money hand over fist. Got people working under her. Blessed, 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 blessed. Her provision was right here for her at that time. It was there. This is how God leads you. You do what God tells you to do, and there is supernatural provision there. You know, when we moved into this building, we were in a little tiny 14,000 square foot office space. This is 110,000 square foot. It was paid for. Our entire uh, utilities over there, do you remember what they were? They were like $500, $700, something like that. Did you know that the utilities, I don't know if it's worked out, but the builder told us we would pay $16,000 a month in utilities on this building. That's a huge jump. 
the payment on this building, the first $3.2 million, we did take out a loan on it, and the payment on this building is, I think, $26,000. We were debt-free at the other building. We were going to increase our indebtedness, or our monthly expenses. It was going to more than double. And did you know what? In the natural, it looked like this was not a very smart move. We had been inching along, just barely increasing and stuff like this. And this was going to be like an exponential increase. But this is what God told me to do. We had prayed about it. It was miraculous how God did all of this. And not only did we have all of those expenses I just described, but then we had $3.2 million to finish this rest of this building out. Only 10,000 square feet was usable. The rest, this was all a factory and stuff. And $3.2 million. And plus, we had just nearly doubled our television bill. So that would have been a miracle in itself, to just be able to pay the increased television bill. But on top of that, the utilities, the, the payment on this building, and then the $3.2 million that we had to come up with in 14 months, it was just astronomical. In the natural, it didn't make any sense. It didn't look right. But I knew that that's what God told us to do. And, you know, we took that step, and instead of struggling along... I don't know exactly what we were able to set aside at that time, but uh, whatever it was, percentage-wise, we started having so much money flow in that we had more money in the bank after all of these increased expenses. Our, our savings went up two, three, four times what they were in the smaller facility. We were more blessed here spending more money than we were in a place where we were spending less money because we had a word from God. We went where God told us to do. And your supply follows where God calls you to go. He sends your provision. I am absolutely convinced that if Elijah, for whatever reason, had never gone to this brook and obeyed the second word that he got from God, God had already commanded the ravens. You know what would have happened? Every morning and evening, ravens would have still come and have brought bread and flesh and the supply would have been there by the brook rotting. And Elijah would have starved. And Elijah could have said, God, I obeyed you and I went and spoke to Ahab and I did this and look, you aren't even taking care of me. That's never happened. Any person who obeys God and will do what God told them to do, God is always going to be faithful to meet your need. But you may not see it because it isn't here. It's there where God told you to do. And if you fall out by the way and if you don't do what God told you to do, God is going to send provision. Somebody else will gather it. Somebody else will reap it because you didn't obey God. That's a strong word. Again, you know, there could be people that are praying about coming here and you're just saying, but what? how would it ever work? How could this happen? You'll never find out until you go there. You'll never know. And if you stay here, back wherever here is, you know what? You could sit there and say, well, I was willing, but God never provided. No, God provided. If He gave you a word and told you to do something... He would be unjust to tell you to do it and then not give you the ability, the provision to be able to do it. And so God always sends His provision. It's always there, but you've got to obey. You've got to go. And I promise you, when you step out, that's when the miracles start happening.
But the natural mind, we want to see everything. We want to have it all worked out. We want to have everything done so that there's no faith involved. So that there's no risk. It's guaranteed. And you know what? That's just not the way of God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews 11.6 God delights in faith. God is a God of faith. This is the way that He is. God created light and said, let there be light. And it was three days before He created the sun for the light to come from. God just delights in doing things supernaturally. It's His nature. And He wants you to walk by faith. And it pleases God to, for Him to tell you to go do something. And it looks absolutely impossible. And yet you step out and say, I've, heard, I've got a word from God. And because of that, I'll step out, out of the boat in something that it looks like I'm going to drown, but this is what God told me. He said, come. And so because of that, I'll step out. And when you step out, then the miracle takes place. We want to stay in the boat and see the Lord turn the water into something solid that we can walk on, guarantee that it's going to work. And then I'll get out of the boat. Nope, you've got to stick your foot in the water. When the priest, you know, they were crossing the Jordan and they were going into the promised land. The priest carried the ark and they got up to their ankles and then up to their calves in the water before the water parted. Most of us want to just barely stick our foot in there, touch it and see the waters part. Nope, you had to walk out in it first before the waters parted and before the children of Israel could go through. This is just the way that God is. These are powerful examples about how the word works. This man had a word from God and was so committed to the word. He understood how powerful it was that he was willing to put his life at risk. And he went and spoke without knowing what the results would be. He didn't know step number two. He just knew step number one. And as soon as he did that, God gave him step number two, sent his provision to where he told him to go. And man, there's so much in this. I'm going through a lot of this quickly, but... After he had been there for a period of time, the brook dried up. You know why? Because of his prophecy. His prophecy called the brook dry up. Well, there's a great lesson in that. You know what? Sometimes when God tells you to do something, everything just doesn't work perfectly. The very fact that you've obeyed God may cause you some problems. It may lead you into a tight place. It may cause some things. and But you know what? To his credit, most of us, if we were in a place where we were dependent upon the water from this brook to be able to survive, you can only live three days without water. Seven days or nine days would be a maximum, but you start dying within three days. You can go 40 days without food, but you've got to have liquids. And most of us, if the brook dried up and if it was a drought and it might be 20 miles for you to go someplace else to get water... Most of us, we wouldn't have been waiting on another word from God. We'd have been gone. We'd have let circumstances dictate to us. The brook dried up, so I'm gone. But you know what? Elijah, it said that the brook dried up. In verse 7, it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And in verse 8, the word of the Lord came unto him saying, The word of the Lord didn't come to him prior to the brook drying up. The brook dried up first. And again, I say most people wouldn't have waited on a word from God. They'd have been gone. 
But he had a word from God that put him at that place and he had enough wisdom to keep acting on the last word of God until God gave him a new word. You know, when I pastored churches, this always amazed me because people would come and they'd say, oh, pastor, God's led us here. They had a word from God. But then something happened that they didn't like and they were gone. And I always thought, if God led them here and they got a word from God, why did they leave without a word from God? If God leads you someplace, you should stay there until you get another word from God. But there's a lot of people that circumstances control them, not the word of God. Elijah was in a situation that could have cost him his life. Again, the brook had dried up. There was a drought. He couldn't go to the store and buy water. It could have been 20 miles to the next supply of water. Who knows? And yet he stayed there risking his life until he got another word from God. Well, that's really good. You know what? You just need to keep doing the last thing God told you to do until you get a new word. We have people come to this school. And, you know, they go one year and then they say, well, I'm leaving. And we tell them, says, God knew it was a two-year school when you came. He didn't call you for one year or two years or three years. He, he knows the whole thing. He wants you to come. And so, anyway, he got a word from the Lord. And look at this in verse 9. Here's the word. Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. His there changed. Well, there's just so much. Like I said, I'm going through a lot. But some people will seek the Lord, get a word from the Lord because they're in a desperate situation or they're dissatisfied, they're looking for something, and they'll get a word from God. But then after they get a breakthrough, then they go back to being carnal and they don't seek God and they just think that their life will just work on autopilot the rest of the time. But you know what? You need to constantly be seeking God because God could change your place called there. God could send you to a different place. You need to be listening. You need a relationship. It's not a formula that you follow. It's a person. And you need a relationship and you need to be sensitive in case the Lord is going to give you some added direction or a course correction. And so he changed his place called there. He says, dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Now this is important. It's kind of a subtle point and most people don't get this when you read it. But if you combine this with Luke chapter 4, Jesus spoke about this widow woman when he was in the synagogue. And he told the people in the synagogue, he says, don't you think that there were lots of widows in the nation of Israel in the days of Elijah? And yet he wasn't sent unto any of them, but unto a woman of Zidon, a Gentile. And the way that Jesus spoke about her, it was clear that that woman was believing God and trusting God and there weren't Jews that were believing and trusting God. And this is why the Jews got so mad is because he was elevating a Gentile. They got so mad that they took him out to the brow of the hill and they were going to kill him because he had said that Gentiles could be touched by God and not just Jews. And so it says here that I have commanded... The reason I bring this out is if you read this, you just think that this woman just stumbled into this miracle and that these things just happened accidentally. This says God had already spoken unto her and God had picked her out because this woman was trusting and believing God. Somehow, we don't, I don't know if the Lord told her that Elijah was going to be the one that she sustained. 
I don't know if she understood all of the details. She may not have known the person. She may not have known the exact things, but she knew that God was going to use her to sustain somebody else through this drought. He had already spoken to her and commanded her to sustain him. Even though she was down to her last little bit of food and it looked like she was going to die, she had a word from God that she was not only going to live, but she was going to keep somebody else alive. Now that's important that you understand that as you read through here. And so in the next verse, in verse 10, So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there. Well, that's important. The widow woman was there. She was gathering sticks. What would most of you have done if you were down... And you've got to remember that this is before welfare. You couldn't go and get food stamps. There weren't stores that you could just go to and get food or do anything like this. The whole nation was experiencing a drought. Everybody was struggling. This woman was down to her last little bit of food, a tiny bit of meal, a tiny bit of oil, and she was gathering sticks so that she could go make her last meal and eat it and die. That's what it looked like in the natural. If you were down to that situation, what would you be doing? Well, you know, I just based on my interaction with a lot of people, a lot of people would be home just griping and complaining, sad, depressed. What's the use? You wouldn't have gotten out and have gathered the sticks. You would have missed your miracle because you weren't there. You'd have been at home sucking your thumb. Or, if you were spiritual, you'd have been at home in your prayer closet praying. And yet, this woman wasn't doing either of those things. You know what she was doing? She was doing what she had to do. She was doing what was just normal. It looked like not very much. She's just gathering some sticks so she can make a fire and cook this food. But she was doing what God had led her to do. I believe that instead of sitting home, being depressed and giving up, what's the use? Or praying and interceding, she was out there taking a step of faith because she had a word from God that not only was she going to be sustained, but she was going to be able to sustain somebody else. She probably didn't have a clue how it was going to come to pass, but she had a word from God. God had already commanded her, and that word got her out of her house and doing something instead of sitting at home and griping and complaining. Man, that's powerful. And most people who think, well, she wasn't doing much. She's just picking up sticks. That was enough to put her in the crosshairs of God's miracle. And God's man walks into town and saw her there gathering sticks. And he called unto her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. Now remember, this is during a drought. Water was scarce. And yet, it says in verse 11, and as she was going to fetch it. In other words, she didn't say a word. She didn't tell him about her desperate situation. She went to get him some water. This says a lot to me. If you were down to your last day, if it looked like you were going to die, and if a stranger walks up to you and says, would you give me a, a glass of water? Would you go get me a cup of coffee? Most of you would look at them and say, who died and made you God? Amen. Go get it yourself. And you'd start just yeah, let out all of the problems that you've got. That's what the average person would do. But this woman didn't complain. She just went and started to get the water for Elijah. 
That says a lot to me that this woman was a giver. This woman was a person that didn't mind doing things for other people. She didn't take offense because somebody asked something of her. She could have turned around and said, you don't know how desperate I am. You should be helping me. But that's not what she did. And she just went and started giving because she had water and so she could give that. But then as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in mine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth. Man, there's so much in this. But she was a Gentile. And yet she recognized, either she knew who Elijah was, or somehow she said, As the Lord your God lives. She recognized the true God of Israel and she recognized his relationship with the Lord somehow or another. She said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Most people read this and take this as a total statement of unbelief. And this woman had zero faith. She was just confessing the worst. But again, it says that God had already commanded her. And Jesus said that Elijah was sent directly to her, that she had been believing God. And there was a reason that God sent Elijah to her. And so I interpret this as not a total confession of unbelief, like I'm just going to die. But I believe that she was more saying it like, here's the situation. And if I feed you first, that means we have nothing. It looks like we're going to die. And she was basically presenting this to see, are you the one that God spoke to me about? Are you the one that if I give to you, it's going to be my deliverance? I think that she was saying these things to probe him. And then Elijah gave her a word. In verse 12, as the, and he's, and, uh, excuse me, that was her, in verse 13, And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. He didn't just ask something of her. He gave her a word from God. He gave her a promise. And again, this is so powerful. When you are inspired by God and you speak His words, death and life are in the power of the, of the tongue. Elijah just spoke a miracle over her that if she would mix it with faith and obey it and do it, it was the way to her deliverance. Elijah gave her a promise. He didn't ask something of her without giving her a promise in exchange. And it says that she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house ate, did eat many days. We don't know exactly how long Elijah had stayed at this brook and how long this was. But the whole time in between when he spoke to uh, Ahab and when the rain came in the 18th chapter was uh, three and a half years. And so it's somewhere around three years. Three years, somewhere in that neighborhood that this woman had this little bit of oil and a little bit of meal and she fed herself and her son and Elijah. And the scriptures don't say this, but to be consistent with all of the things that have happened, I believe here's the way that it happened, that every morning she got up and she still only had a little bit of meal 
and a little bit of oil. I don't believe that when she took that first step that God just multiplied and gave her a three-year supply of food. I believe that just every day there was a little bit and every day she had to make a decision to feed Elijah first. Every day it looked like she and her son could be dead and she just took this same step of faith every day. The Bible says, give us this day our daily bread. Most of us want to have God provide us with a three-year supply. We want guaranteed retirement. We want all of these things. And if everything works out, then I'll serve you. But give us this day our daily bread. Just every day God will supply your needs. God will make things work. And you know, I can just imagine the Jerusalem Post, the headlines. Preacher takes widow's last meal out of her mouth. Death imminent. That's the way that the secular press would report it. That's the way that our world... If you had somebody do something like this, I guarantee you they'd jump all over them. But you know what? Elijah wasn't taking from this woman. He was giving to her. She had to give. What she had wasn't enough. Boy, this is a great truth. If what you have isn't enough for your need, then turn it into a seed and plant it. Well, that is a powerful truth. If what you've got isn't enough for your need, turn it into a seed and plant it. She couldn't sustain herself. She didn't have enough. She needed Elijah to take that food out of her mouth. It was the only way she would make it. Again, to the natural mind, this is totally wrong. You would never do this. You know, I remember when Jamie and I first got started in ministry, we were pastoring a little church in um, Seagoville, Texas, and I had a friend of mine come to preach, and he was stronger in these things than what I was, and we used to give a lot of money to the poor and help them and things, and this one guy came to us, and he was begging for help. And he had been, he was from somewhere up north. He'd come down to Texas looking for a job. His wife and kids were up north. Whatever money he had was depleted. And he was down to nothing. He hadn't eaten. And he just had nothing. And he came around begging for some food. And I was already had my hand in my pocket to give him what little I had. And I was going to give him some money. And this guy was with me. He stopped me. And he says, What do you have? And the guy pulled out a quarter and he says, all I've got is a quarter so that I could call my wife. That's back before we had cell phones. You had to use a pay phone to even get a collect call. And he had a quarter and he was going to call his wife and let her know what was going on. And that preacher says, give it to me. And man, when he said that, I tell you what, it just, I was like, I was shocked. I was embarrassed. Like, man, this is this guy's last quarter. And instead of giving him anything, I was at least going to feed him. I was at least going to get him a motel room so that he could spend the night or do something for him. And this other guy, he just said, no. He says, you need to sow. And he says, give me your quarter. And the guy gave him his quarter, and then Dwayne prayed for him and blessed him and uh, said, it's yours, and let him go, hungry and sleeping out on the street. And you know what? I stayed up a lot that night just feeling like, God, we said, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but we didn't do anything to help him. And I just felt like, how terrible. 
And did you know the next morning, I mean early the next morning, this guy was back on our doorstep and he said, you're never going to believe what happened. He says, I've been putting in resumes and stuff and he said, I got a call and this guy, he became the foreman of a ranch, had a house given to him. The guy sent to get his wife and kids and all of his furniture, paid for his move, gave him a guaranteed salary and he says, man, everything happened. You know what I would have done? I'd have given him five bucks for a meal. I'd have gone and bought him a room for $20 or something and have thought I was doing something good. Dwayne did him much better by taking that quarter out of his hand. A lot of people can't see that, but boy, that is a powerful truth. That's what Elijah was doing. And yet, a lot of people just criticize it, looking at it in the natural, not understanding what is set in motion when you start believing God and taking a step of faith. And they only look at it in the natural and think, you're just taking money from people. You know, I used to pray that God would give me so much money, I'd never have to receive an offering again. And if that would have worked, I believe God would have done it for me because I prayed it a lot. But you know what? God has now changed everything. And I realize that when I'm receiving an offering, it's not about my need. God's going to get money to me with or without you. But you need to give. You need to trust God. This is for your benefit. If I had billions of dollars in the bank so that I could live off of the interest and never have to take an offering, I'd do the offerings exactly the way I'm doing them because you need to give. It's not about my need. I'm not taking from you. I'm giving to you. I'm helping you. When we get to heaven, there's not going to be a single person that comes up and says, I wish you hadn't have made me give so much money. But instead, you're going to come up and hug me and kiss me and thank me for getting that money out of your pocket. Because only what you give away is what you get to keep. Everything you keep, you lose. Everything you give to me, you get to keep. It'll turn into changed lives. And in eternity, people will be thanking you. And talking about all of the good that your giving has done. I'm helping you. I'm not hurting you. Amen. A couple of you believe that. It's true. You know, I was preaching from this exact passage of Scripture in Decatur, Texas. And I forget, this has been 10 years or more ago. And there was a woman who came up and I'd prayed with her the year before. She had been in a mental institution and she got a weekend pass to come out and I prayed with her that God would restore her mind and that she would be released from this. She was committed to a mental institution. And I prayed with her and anyway, she did get released. And so the next year I came back to that same church. This woman came up for prayer and she says, do you remember me? And I didn't even remember her. She had changed so much she didn't even look the same. And she says, I'm the woman you prayed with that was in the mental institution last year. When she said that, I remembered it. And she says, they let me out. I got released. But she says, I'm the custodian in the mental institute. And I have a room there, but I'm not a patient. I'm now a staff member. And she says, I want out of this place. Those people are crazy. And she says, I want a new place to live. And I need a new job with more money. And I had just preached on this exact thing about Elijah taking the widow woman's last little bit of food. And I said, how much money do you have? And she went and got her purse and she had this little coin purse and she had like $86.23, something like that. And she says, this is all I've got and it's 10 days 
till payday and I was going to buy groceries with this. And I said, give it to me. And she said, all of it. And I said, all of it. And she turned her purse upside down, that little coin purse, and emptied it all out into my hands, every penny that she had. And I took it and gave it to the pastor of the church so nobody would think I was doing this for myself. And I gave it into the church. And then I prayed with her. And did you know that that pastor called me the next week and he said, man, you're going to be blessed by this. And he said that on Monday, a person who was a Christian, but he wasn't a member of that church, he wasn't there. He didn't know what this woman had done and what she had prayed for. He walked up to her and gave her a new car. It wasn't necessarily brand new, but it was new to her. It was a good car. And he gave her a car free. She didn't even pray about that. On Wednesday, her mother called. And she had been separated from her mother for a long time, for years, because of her mental problems. And the mother had just totally dismissed her and written her off. And out of the blue, her mother called to see how she was doing. Found out that she had been released as a patient. And as they talked, the mother got convicted and repented and says, I'm sorry for the way I've treated you and asked forgiveness and said, would you come back home? We'd like for you to live with us. So she not only got a new place to live, but she got a relationship with her mother restored. And on Friday, by Friday, she had a new job, paid her twice as much money as she was making because she gave $86.23. Isn't that awesome? I tell you, God's ways are not the same as just carnal human beings. God does things differently, and it all boils around the Word. This widow woman had a word from God, and I don't know exactly how she discerned that Elijah was the right one, but she wasn't home griping and complaining and praying and asking God for something. She already had a word, and she was acting on the word that she had. And because of it, she put herself right in position for a miracle. And I want to encourage you. God has spoken. If God has spoken to you, man, you need to do something with that. You know, I've had people... I remember one guy coming from um, Chicago, one of our students. And he was a young guy and he came and he went into my office and he said, God spoke to me to come to this school. But... And then he told me about all of the things that happened. He was still, he was real young. He was living at home. His parents thought he was absolutely crazy. Took him to the pastor of the church and asked the pastor about it. And when the pastor heard that it was my school, he says, that guy's of the devil. He says, don't you do that. And so the pastor turned on him. His parents, he worked for his parents. They were going to cut him off and not pay him anymore, lose his inheritance. Everybody came against him. So anyway, this guy was sitting in my office and he says, God told me to come, but... And then he told me all of these things. And he says, so what do I do? And I said, you lost me the moment you said God told you to come. And he says, what do you mean? I said, if God told you to come, you just come. But, but, and he started, well, what about my... I said, it doesn't matter about anything else. If God told you to do it, you do it. If it hair lips every devil in hell, you just do it. Amen. And he was just looking at me like a deer in the headlights. Like, well, but, but, and it doesn't matter. Think about it this way. Here's the God of the universe. He's got billions of people on this planet and all kinds of other things to do. 
and He talks to you and tells you something and you're going to debate whether or not you do it? Man, I just don't think that way. If God speaks something to me, if God tells me to do it, if God told me to jump off of a building and fly, and if I knew it was God, I'd do it. Forget gravity. If I, if I knew that God told me to do something, I would do it. And it just amazes me at the people who say, God told me, but... And then they are going to debate and decide whether or not they do what God says. That is not smart. I'm telling you, if you want to see God's best in your life, if you want your life changed, and if you want to see other people's lives changed through you, it just comes down to what has God told you to do. And if He told you to do it, do it. And don't worry about what's going to happen afterwards or step number two or three or where's the provision coming from. It's going to be there where God told you to go. It all boils down to what is God saying to you. And that's another message. Maybe I'll minister on that tomorrow. How do you discern if it's God or if it's just you? But, you know, it's real simple. Like, I I used to have people come up to me and they say, I want to come to the Bible school, but I'm just not sure it's God. Would you pray with me and, and, and ask if it's really the Lord? And I'd try and talk to them. And finally, I've just cut it down real easy. Here's a real easy way to discern. I I just told them, I said, well, I understand what you're saying. It could be the devil that's leading you to come to Bible college and sit under the Word four hours a day, five days a week for two years. That sounds like the devil. That sounds like your flesh. Sure, your flesh wants to forget everything and leave everything. Family, friends, security, and come sit under the Word for four hours a day. That could be the devil, sure. That makes sense to me. You know what? If you've got the desire, that's how God speaks to you. Man, this is a no-brainer. God says He'd put His desires in your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. If you have the desire to come, I can guarantee you the devil didn't give it to you. That's a word from God. And you need to act on that word. Isn't that good? We've made the Christian life really difficult. It's not difficult. The only thing is, we just don't value the same things that God values. We get a word from God and then we sit around and debate whether or not we'll do it. Boy, that's just not smart. You need to do what God has called you to do. Praise the Lord. I see all of our students standing around. Are you ready for an offering? Is that what you're doing? (laughs) I've already received an offering. But you know what? It is a really good opportunity for one, isn't it? (laughs) Boy, these guys are trained. That's good. You know what? Let's do that. If, If your faith has been quickened, maybe you just gave a nod to God in the previous offering or, you know, you put a dollar in so that your neighbor wouldn't think you weren't doing anything. But if your faith has been quickened and now you're ready to really give and you're saying, man, I need to sow where I want to go. Man, you could see a huge increase off of this. If what you've got isn't enough for your need, then turn it into a seed and plant it. 
You know, you may not, we may not have the exact same interaction as I did with this woman who gave that $86 and something, but you know, it could be the exact same thing for you. Maybe you're in a critical situation and you just need to trust God. You need to take your last little bit and say, God, I'm trusting you. And if you'll give it in faith, if this is what God is leading you to do, don't do it trying to manipulate God. But if God is speaking to you to do it, then trust Him and do it. And if you'll do that, you'll get a supernatural return off of that. Amen? Praise God. Anybody wants an offering envelope, hold your hand up. One of our ushers will get it to you. And this is one of my rare instances where I receive two offerings. But you know, faith without works is dead. If your faith has been quickened, it would be wrong on my part not to give you an opportunity to act on it. Praise the Lord. I'm impressed. Our students got up and were ready to have an offering. They were all standing at the back of the, each aisle. Praise God, you guys have been learning. You're being taught well. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just receive this word and thank you for these truths. And I'm praying specifically for any person, Father, who their heart has been quickened and that they feel like you are telling them to trust you and to take something that they need and plant it as a seed. Father, we're believing for a miraculous return. Father, there may be somebody that has to have a miracle to be able to get home. I'm believing for a miraculous return off of this giving. Father, we trust you. And just like happened with this widow at Zarephath, I believe that, Father, you have sent somebody here. This is their place called there. And they are doing what you are planning in their heart and that, Father, it is going to sustain them supernaturally. And we agree and receive that in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. You can receive the offering. You know, I didn't have time to go through the rest of this story, but let me just quickly say that not only did this widow woman and her son live for three years or so this way, but her son died. And because she had been feeding the prophet and she had been investing in him when he died, she went to him and basically said, you owe me. And she placed a demand on that prophet and Elijah went in and raised her son from the dead. This is the first person in the Bible recorded raised from the dead is here in 1 Kings chapter 17. It had never happened before. There was no precedent you know, today we talk about seeing people raised from the dead and you've got eight people in the Bible that were raised from the dead. I personally know over 38 people that have been raised from the dead. It happens now. But you know, back in Elijah's day, there had never been a person raised from the dead. This was a first-rate miracle that had never happened before. And you know what started it all in motion? It was this woman taking her little bit of food and stuff and supplying the prophet. And so there is more than just financial benefit that comes out of this. Man, this could make a difference in your health. It could make a difference in your family. There's all kinds of things that get set in motion when you start believing God like this. Isn't that awesome? Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Well, we've had healing school today. All of you ought to be well. We've already had the baptism of the Holy Ghost and, and uh, speaking in tongues, people getting saved. I don't know if there's anybody here who needs anything particularly tonight, but you've got the Word of God. If you would take that Word and act on it, it will produce whatever you need. 
Father, I just pray for every person here now and whatever the needs are. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit takes these truths that we've talked about tonight, that people would calm themselves, listen and hear your voice and then do what you are telling them to do, to act on the Word. Thank you, Jesus. You know, the Lord's just speaking to me that there's people in here that you know what God's spoken to you. You've got a word from God, but you've got fear. You've never done this. You've lived your entire life taking the easiest route, taking the path of least resistance. And now God has spoken something to you that is against everything you've done in your whole life. And this is not easy for you to do it. There is literally a spirit of fear in some people. And this isn't only about the Bible school. This could be about anything that God has spoken to you about. You know you have a word from God, but you're afraid. You know, I'd like to ask you to just be honest enough. Nobody's going to criticize you, but I'd like to ask if that's you to just stand right where you are and I'm going to pray for you and I believe God's going to break this spirit of fear over you. And I believe you're going to be able to fulfill and do what God told you to do. I know some of you think, well, couldn't we pray without me standing? Well, I'm not asking you to do a lot. This woman did have to go out and gather sticks. She couldn't multiply her own food, but she did something. You've got to do something. Faith without works is dead. If this is you, you need to just stand. That's not asking a lot. And just identify that, yes, I'm dealing with a spirit of fear over this. And pray, and I believe God's going to set you free. Amen? There's somebody out there who's saying, well, that's me, but I'm going to sit down and receive it. I'm going to pray that this won't work if you're seated. You've got to stand to be able to get it. See, there's, there's a couple of people I saw stand up after that. I knew that you were out there. Praise Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I just thank you for all of these people who have a word from you. You've spoken to them about something. And yet they've got a spirit of fear working in them that's hindering them. Father, the scripture says that perfect love cast out fear. Holy Spirit, you, it, the Scripture says that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit in Romans 5. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come right now and just touch every single person who's standing and to let the love of God just flow towards them. Father, remind them of how faithful you've been that you've never failed them, that you've come through. Father, give them that assurance. I pray that the love of God right now is driving fear out of them. Fear of what other people have to say. Fear of finances. Fear of failure. Fear that they're inadequate. inadequate. Fear of what it'll happen, what the repercussions will be to them. Whatever their fears are, Father, I believe that your love right now is casting fear out. We command it to go, to be gone. We break fear over us worry, anxiousness. We break this in the name of Jesus. And Father, I believe that you're helping them to just take that step of faith and to do what you've called them to do. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree. We receive it right now in the mighty name of Jesus. You know, I want the rest of you that are sitting down. 
to look around and see somebody who's standing and go to them right now and lay hands on them. I'm going to continue to pray, but I want you to start releasing the life of God, the love of God towards them. We're going to pray for them and we're going to see this thing broken over them. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just agree that right now this fear is gone. Father, as we lay hands on them, we release your love tangibly to flow towards them that they would experience your compassion. We speak that peace would come over them. We speak to the storm that rages on the inside of them and say, peace, be still. Command the turmoil to be gone. And we just thank you for a peace that passes understanding. Father, even before everything in the natural changes and works out so that we can see We just receive a peace right now that is going to keep our hearts and minds. We let the peace of God rule in our heart. And Father, I thank you that you are setting people free. And we speak in the name of Jesus that the word that you have given them, they will act on it. That they will do it. That you will support them. We confess our faith that it will work out. That we will see the miraculous power of God come through. And Father, we thank you for it. We agree and receive it. And we believe that there is a miracle taking place in all of these hearts right now. Thank you, Jesus, for changing people's lives. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. You agree? Father, we praise you. We believe that we receive in Jesus' name. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. Man, I tell you, if you received what I talked about tonight, it's going to change your life. I believe someday, if the Lord tarries, you'll be looking back on March the 10th, 2011, and saying that's the night that I took my first step. God did a miracle. Isn't that great? Hallelujah. Well, God bless you. You're dismissed. We got some refreshments and things back here. We'll be back in the morning, I assume, at 7 for a continental breakfast. And then we'll have praise and worship at 8. Stephen Bransford will minister, and then I'll minister, and we're going to have a time for registration tomorrow. God bless you. You're dismissed.